Hello, this is Dr. Luke Lester, and this is ECE Tech Talk. Welcome to the second season of ECE Tech Talk, brought to you by the Bradley Department of Virginia Tech. I'm Dwan Wanjara. And I'm Mike Tarani, and we'll be your host for today. So our guest for today needs no introduction amongst our listeners. Dr. Luke Lester is the head of the department of Bradley Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Virginia Tech and was named the Roanoke Electric Steel Professor in 2016. Prior to joining Virginia Tech, he was a professor of ECE at the University of New Mexico from 1994 to 2013. He also worked as an engineer for GE Electronics Lab in Syracuse, New York for six years where he worked on transistors for MM wave applications. In 1986, he co-invented the first pseudomorphic HEMT, a device that was later highlighted in the Guinness Book of World Records as the fastest transistor. In 1991, as a PhD student at Cornell, he researched and developed the first strained quantum well lasers with MM wave bandwidths. Dr. Lester has published 144 journal articles and some 260 other publications. He was the editor-in-chief of the IEEE Journal of Selected Topics in the Quantum Electronics for three years from January 2015 to January 2018. Hello, Dr. Lester. Thank you so much for being here. Would you like to add anything to Moyang's awesome introduction? Hey, it's a pleasure, and, and thank you for inviting me. I, I really enjoyed the uh, podcast. And no, I, I don't have anything to add to that. So before we get started, though, I do have a very serious question for you. Oh, very serious. Okay. Yes, Leicester City. You are a Leicester oh, City supporter, oh, oh, oh. is that correct? <laughs> yeah, only a more recent Leicester City. After their the... miracle win in 2016? Yes. No, no. You know, before that. Okay. Uh, give me some credit. Right. Uh, no, I just, you know, it's my it's my ancestral homeland. So, you know. Oh, really? I, I have to be a Leicester fan. Right. Kind of before that, I was also an Everton fan. Is that related to your last name? What, what do you... <laughs> yeah, Luke Lester. Lester, it's got a different spelling, but it's, yeah. the, old, it's the old style spelling, L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R. So Dr. Luke Lester is a Lester City lover. That's a real mouthful. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so um, your thoughts on the Premier League season last year? Uh, what a, you know, it, I, I was so hopeful that, you know, finally we would see Liverpool not suffer anymore. Okay, I, I, I'm willing to concede that Liverpool deserved a, a, a trophy. Um, and I was glad to see that, you know, that season could resume and that Liverpool got its, uh, got its justly deserved uh, championship. That was right. pretty cool. Yeah, they absolutely dominated all the season. But the ending was not good for Leicester City at all. They went from third place, guaranteed third, to out of the top four. That has to be disappointing for you. Yes, it was a very disappointing result. And, uh, you know, that, that's what happens sometimes after a long break is you can't get – the team can't get the same chemistry back together. And they were kind of a shadow of themselves. But, you know, we'll be back next year. Right, hopefully. Um, last question regarding this topic. Do you remember where you were when Leicester City won the title in 2016? I, I was at home in Blacksburg. You know? but were you like, watching the game? You're definitely watching yeah, the game. Yeah, I was right? watching the game. Oh, yeah, I was really excited. That was, that was 
for all the uh, the premier soccer so, premiership soccer fans out there. Um, yay, we finally won it. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to bore them anymore with soccer. Absolutely, I would have right. to be here if we talk more about this. I know he doesn't like it. I was just like, <laughs> okay, that's enough of that. Right, let's move on. All right. Questions. We know that you received your bachelor's in engineering in physics and your PhD in electrical engineering from Cornell University. How was the education experience like for you? What kind of student were you? I was, uh, I, I meandered through various degree programs. When I started out as a freshman, I was actually a chemi. And I, did, I didn't decide on my major, my engineering major until the week before the deadline in the fourth semester. So, you know, I was like a second semester sophomore and I hated mass and energy balances. It's a course every chemi takes and I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, I gotta have something else. And I couldn't, I couldn't get into double E because I didn't have it, enough of the prerequisites. And I was like, what, what, what else can I do? And engineering physics turned out to be it. I really enjoyed it. I could take a variety of different courses. So I would try to steer what I did towards electrical engineering. And then uh, finally, when I was a grad student, uh, after working at General Electric for two and a half years, I decided to go into AA for my grad school. So Interesting. let me ask you this. What exactly is engineering physics? Is it is it physics in the engineering department or... Yeah, it's kind of the uh, undergraduate version of applied physics. So you, you, you uh, don't just sit around deriving equations all the time, although we did a lot of that. You, you actually have to do computational physics. You, you, it can actually have some biophysics in it and fluid mechanics. You know, it's a variety. And it's, uh, it's something that we had actually for a long time in, at Virginia Tech as well under... Uh, ESM. The ESM program, though, now is getting uh, phased out. Interesting. So you said you went back into industry and then came back to, to the academic environment. Did you see yourself um, doing that, or was that not part of the plan? No, I, I think when, when I graduated, I just wanted a new car. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to be to get on with the real world. And I worked in this applied research lab in General Electric in Syracuse, New York. And I was so glad to be done taking courses. Oh, I, and, then, and then I started feeling some sort of remorse over not taking courses. It took about a year and a half. And I took a few courses at Syracuse University and then one at Cornell. And I just got more and more interested in research-oriented themes. At, and a lot of the people I worked with had PhDs. <laughs> so, so was that a big reason for you to go get your own PhD? Yeah, because I realized I actually did like research and I needed to get into a research group and, um, you know, and, and explore new things. Explore new things was the, you know, uh, I, like, I like changing what I do every four or five years. And uh, whether it's the research or the projects I work on uh, administratively, one way or the other, I, I like, you know, you have more, more flexibility and freedom after getting the PhD. Absolutely. Sure. So you mentioned why you chose to do a PhD, but why did you choose to go into the EE track? 
Oh, because the applied physicists had way too many courses to take, and you had to go and you had to go back and be a TA for something like you know freshman physics. Ew. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just being I'm just being honest. Um, and I already. So it's kind of weird because I go go and go to GE and. I was only maybe 25 years old and I had made the world's fastest transistor and working with a team of people. I also made some high electron mobility transistors. That's what the hemp is. You heard about that in the, in the uh, intro. Um, and that was being used as a low noise amplifier for uh, Voyager 2 going past Neptune. All these co cool things were happening world's fastest transistor, Guinness Book of World Records, and then I was going to have to go be a TA in freshman physics. I was like, no. <laughs> I want to get on with it, and so double E, let me do that. I went, the reason is I went right into being a, a, a research assistant. Absolutely. So let going me back to the, yeah, how, sorry, go ahead. How is the feeling being in the Guinness Book of World Records? Were you like, overjoyed was that your major accomplishment in life or that was i'm laughing because as a kid growing up in the 1970s okay so it was a totally serendipitous thing it's totally by chance that i end up in that uh that it was featured like as one sentence somewhere buried in the middle of the of the book uh and i discovered it because as a kid i'd always been buying the Guinness Book of World Records because I loved the picture of the really fat guy and the really tall guy and the people with the long fingernails. I love this stuff. And every 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 year I I would get it. And I would just I I just I loved trivia. And then somewhere along the line, I opened it up one day in like the late 80s, early 90s, I can't remember which edition, and I saw that the group from GE and it was University of Illinois as well, that we were mentioned as having the fastest transistor. You know, it's kind of like, I knew I had the fastest transistor. So you're kind of like, oh, I'm going to go in the Guinness Book of World Records and see if they got that in there. Sure enough, it was there and it was in for about a decade. That's insane. Wait, so going back to that project, did you join the team planning to make the fastest transistor or was that a side project? No, it was, um, it was not a side project. It was a very deliberate race. Um, I, a lot of us, some, when I was at GE, we would also compete against the Cornell PhD students. It was all Syracuse, Ithaca, sort of rivalries, upstate New York stuff, uh, rivalries. And oh yeah, we knew, we knew I, I was going for the fastest transistor. Oh yeah, I had an idea and uh, did it, got it in there. I probably held the record for really only about two years, but Guinness took a while to catch up. <laughs> they didn't realize. <laughs> so you worked on that project for a year and a half before coming back to Cornell? Approximately. Yeah, okay. it was, it was, it was about that. And it was, it was actually very early into my graduate life at Cornell actually that I reported this record. So when you came back to your graduate life at Cornell, what were you focusing in? Like, I know you were getting an electrical engineering PhD, but what was your research in or your thesis plan to be in the least at that point? 
at that point, it was still a continuation of what I'd been doing at GE. I, I, and I just wanted, you know, make it better, faster, lower, you know, lower power dissipation kind of thing uh, for the transistor. But yeah, and then, and then that kind of hit a dead end because I had all these great ideas, but guess who owned the intellectual property? Gee. The company. <laughs> and so I, it was like, hey, hey, GE, I want to report this in my dissertation. No, 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 you can't do that. So I had to, I had to pick a new topic. Absolutely. And so I never wrote a master's thesis because I would have had to divulge too many company secrets. So that never happened. I said, don't worry, I just want the PhD. Interesting. So was the six, when I mentioned in your bio that you worked in GE for six years, was it in continuation when you were also in the PhD? Like you were doing yeah. that was still, you were working with GE. Yeah, so it was sort of off and on for, off and on for nine years. And it, I'd come back for the summers. You probably get it now. I worked continu you know, continuously for several years and then sort of off and on during my PhD years. And then I went back for two years after I had the PhD. Absolutely. Interesting. So after you were done with your PhD, what was the next step in your career? You know, I was like, it was so amazing to me. Oh, I got the PhD. Oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> I, uh, my wife was a veterinarian at the time. We're living in, uh, in Syracuse, New York area. And it was like, everything has been accomplished. Yay. And um, it was like, okay, what's next? And uh, then the Cold War ended. So you got to realize I graduated in 92. I had been educated through the Star Wars Strategic and Defense Initiative, Ronald Reagan beat the Soviets, all that. That was the culture, right? Beat them through technology. And it happened, and then we weren't nested, and it wasn't, so we weren't needed anymore. By 1992, uh, it was like, oh my God, we got to find something else to do. So I went into academia. Where was that next step at? I went to Albuquerque. I went to the University of New Mexico in 1994. Um, and by that time, I had transitioned into uh, high-speed optoelectronics, so high-speed lasers. Uh, that was my passion at the time, and, and still is. But so, And that's when I entered academia and moved, you know, 2,000 miles away to this the land of enchantment, this strange place called Albuquerque. And how long did you stay in University of New Mexico for? 19 years, man. I was, 19 uh, years. 19 years. Uh, our family, our son and daughter grew up there. Um, I became a devout uh, green chili fan. And <laughs> I am a big Breaking Bad fan. Uh, nice. started on Breaking Bad. I used to give Breaking Bad tours of it. In just, you should have stuck with Emily. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let's go back to what you just said. You said you were giving Breaking Bad tours to people? Yeah. Yeah, I give, I give tours to friends. Uh, just the various, you know, sites. Right. That's and awesome. That was, it was a lot of fun. You, like, know every single thing about the show then? Uh, okay. Not every single thing, but I've watched a lot of episodes three times. Yeah. Did you watch the movie? Three times. <laughs> did you watch the movie with Aaron Paul? Oh yeah, sure. Did you like it? I did, I got like super. It wasn't. It 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 was for a diehard fan. It was it was fine. 
you know, I don't know how anybody who who isn't a junkie on that on that show would really appreciate it. But I was pretty starstruck because I was once eating um, on Route 66. I was eating in a Jimmy John's, and and along comes Aaron Paul in full Jesse Pinkman gear gear, walking right towards me as I'm looking through the Jimmy John's, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, <laughs> and I realized they were filming. So for again, so if you're not a Breaking Bad fan, I apologize, but they briefly indulged me. Um, I, I identified very strongly with Walter White. I have never seen an episode of Breaking Bad in my life. Well, I think I'm missing out. Yeah, I've heard a lot, a lot of good stuff about it. I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it one day. But oh, you've not seen it either? You've only seen the I've movie? Seen the first, I've just seen the first season. I've not even seen the mu movie. I've just heard mixed reviews about it. So it was okay, I think we have to get on it, Mike. I think that's Dr. Lester's recommendation to us. It, it really captures New Mexico pretty well. Not the drug culture, <laughs> not that, but the quirkiness and the uniqueness of the people who live in New Mexico. It's really um, a lot of, it's very individualistic, very much the other. So it was a lot of fun to live in New Mexico. Um, how was living in New Mexico after living in New York? Uh, I would think they're very distinct places. What was the transition like for you? Uh, it was, it was, it, it was tough at first. I right. went from snowy, rainy Syracuse to uh, 200 days of blue sky per year in Albuquerque. That's good, though. And, and actually, I had nightmares before moving to Albuquerque that, that the sun was too bright. <laughs> Literally. and Because it, it was it, it's amazing. Um, the, the, the weather is beautiful. It is the it is the most serene weather in the United States, probably beats Hawaii even. Um, it's just very dry, as you might imagine. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's go to the next question. So, how did you arrive at Virginia Tech? Right. It was it was the job. Um, I I was uh, considering being uh, the permanent department chair. In my old department, the University of New Mexico, I was interim for two years, and uh, and I was interviewing there, and I said, "What the heck? I'll 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 interview at Virginia Tech." You know, I had a PhD who had PhD student at UNM who had been a Hokie. Actually, I had two PhD students. One had been uh, a physics undergrad, and one an EC undergrad, and they were my advisees as PhD students. I had met so many really great Hokies uh, while being in New Mexico that I thought, oh, you know, I should look at this place. And, and once I came for the interview, I was like, oh, I really like this. And it's a full, it's like two days of interviewing. And it just got uh, better and better as it went along. And I'm so glad I came. When was this? 2013. 2013, almost seven years now? Seven years ago, yeah. So I came to be, uh, came and got the department head job. What's an interview like for the department head job? It's like meeting 30 different people, <laughs> trying to remember all of their names <laughs> and everything that they do. It's just, it's a whirlwind. Uh, but you meet a lot, sounds. Yeah, you meet a lot of interesting people. How have your seven years at Virginia Tech been? Really great. Yeah. I, I can't, I, I can't complain. Right. 
been an awesome opportunity. So I have a question for you. Um, so you've been given the title Roanoke Electric Steel Professor. What does that even mean? Like, why, why is that a title given to you? It's, um, it's really tied. Yeah, so how does this laser guy, that's me, how does this laser guy end up with electric steel? Um, it's just, it, it's, it's an honorific. So the, the sponsoring company, a longtime benefactor of, of the university, uh, I, I think they recycle steel. And, and so it, it's just a matter of, um, it, was, it was something I'm very glad to have it. It's, it, it's, it's a prestige thing, um, but it has absolutely no, no, no relationship to lasers whatsoever. <laughs> so um, in the seven years have you've been here, have you taught any classes? Do you teach classes often? Yeah, I've, not very often. I've only taught two. Um, I've taught an undergrad junior level optoelectronics course where we talk about LEDs and lasers and how you, how you make them, how you model them. And then the same kind of topic at a more advanced level for graduate students. Interesting. So what's the breakdown of your daily um, job, I guess? What, 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 what do you spend most of your time on, some of your time on? Dan life. Oh. Right. What is the daily life? Yeah, you look. So this is my office here. There's books. I never read them. <laughs> are you in? Life. Are you in Whittemore or are you at home? Yeah, I'm in Whittemore. You know. Uh, yeah. Gee, sorry. They can't see the video, but um, right. It's it's um, daily daily life is helping faculty primarily um, doing uh, interviews of people for uh, finding new faculty handling problems that come up, issues, uh, the like. It's, uh, it's, it keeps me very active, but I like to, I, I like to emphasize the career development for faculty and helping people work through issues. And, uh, you know, like, like where we are right now with, with COVID, um, helping people work through the pandemic and, and still be effective in their job. How has the recent pandemic affected the department according to you? It's, you know, it's changed a lot uh, for the good and for the bad in what we do in terms of delivering the courses. I mean, you remember when we pivoted in the spring to completely online and we did an almost awesome job. You know, we got most of it right, but there were, there were a few uh, fails along the way in terms of some people as faculty, as teachers, really didn't know what to do. Absolutely. You know, online learning is a totally different format. It is very difficult to pivot from what, writing on a whiteboard or a chalkboard and doing everything from memory to a prepared presentation, completely electronic. It's almost like a mini textbook and then delivering that to students in a virtual format. It's a huge amount of work. And so my hat's off to the vast majority of the EC faculty. Absolutely. Some people really struggled though. And, and so we've been working through that as a department. What resources do you offer to um, faculty members to try and help them prepare for this completely virtual semester, I guess, or mostly virtual semester? So yeah, really good question because you know, one of the big positive things 
that came out of the pandemic is we got a lot more organized with giving a more uniform experience in terms of uh, teaching and materials preparation for the courses. So we, we created a handy dandy uh, one page do's and don'ts for online and hybrid learning and, uh, and best practices all contained in one easy to read one page document. You know, I don't like long documents as most of my faculty know. Uh, and then also uh, we created training sessions for starting in, starting just before the summer sessions, we created training sessions for faculty to get to improve their skill sets in hybrid and online learning. Absolutely. So are there any in-person classes for ECE going on right now? Or is it all virtual? It, there, there are a few in person, very few that are totally in person. About 25% have some hybrid character to them. And that's really primarily at the sophomore level. So the courses you guys just took last year, as far as I remember, you, you guys are, are juniors now, right? Yep. Yeah. So a lot of the sessions in the sophomore year, those new sophomore courses are hybrid, meaning at least once a week, the students are meeting in person. And then, and then the, the number of in-person or hybrid courses, the further you get along like junior, senior level, the more, the, more that tapers off. Mm -hmm. And it becomes almost purely online at, at the senior and the graduate. Absolutely. So what are the precautions being taken for those classes? Like, are, is it challenging to follow those precautions? You know, it, you know, I feel like I want to be like Tony Fauci and say, <laughs> wear the mask, socially distance, don't go into a class, don't go into a group that's more than 15 people, right? Keep it simple. Don't make it too complicated. Um, the, the preparation uh, was extensive in the summer. And if there's any group of people that can pull this off, I think it's Virginia Tech. We are 30,000 students plus faculty and staff. And as we know, you know, right now we're going through the increase in cases and we knew this was gonna happen. It's, 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 it's predictable, but we have, you know, we have a lot of the, of the uh, policies and guidelines in place and it's really key staying to those sticking to those basics the the mask the social distance and not having too many people in the room um and you know we worked a lot on that in the summer people weren't particularly good at the mask thing during the summer but it i i i really um i really think the students actually have stepped up especially on campus with the mask wearing, that I'm glad to see that. Yeah, we wish everybody a healthy and safe yeah. semester and year going forward. So I want to move back a little and ask one question that I missed. Uh, so I know you've had like a very diverse background where you like doing different things uh, and switching, like you worked in GE, then were a teacher, but what motivated you to be apply for head of department? Because you knew that you were coming into a role that's going to be more managerial than than actually teaching courses. So so, 
how'd you make this choice? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, good, good question. I mean, I had been taking on more and more responsibilities uh, throughout my career, whether it was I was like director of a graduate program, I've been associate director of a major research center at the University of New Mexico. And I, and I like the strategic uh, thinking, figuring out the path for the future, how you do that, who, who are the people you hire, who are the kinds of students you recruit. And so that was, um, you know, the, it was like, it was really to, to start steering uh, the path, you know, not, not being reactive to it, but actually being more proactive in, in, in guiding the future. Interesting. Um, so I guess similar thing that happened at Virginia Tech would, could be the, the Red Grant. Um, what are your thoughts on the Red Grant and what was your role in the Red Grant? Well, in the Red Grant, I am, I am a necessary ingredient. Right. Every Red Grant has to have the department head, but I have Tom Martin, who you've talked to, and Professor Lisa McNair in Engineering Ed, and Professor Matt Wisnowski in Science, Technology, and Society, um, Liesl Baum in, I, I can keep going, but right. there's a whole team that more or less ghost wrote the proposal, and I, you know, I go through and go, okay, I agree with this. Philosophically, you know, if you look back five years ago, what I, and, and Tom Martin could, could verify this. Tom wanted to focus on the sophomore year. And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. And I wanted the EC majors. So the EC majors uh, were, you know, in terms of leading all this curricular change, uh, I, I led initially the majors part. And, and Tom has always been leading the sophomore year changeover uh, themes. And that's how, that's how it all got started. Um, I, yeah, so what happened is about five, six years ago, nationally, you would sit in these um, meetings of department heads, sounds really boring. We would talk about how the mechanical engineers were eating our lunch. Mechanical engineering was so important. And ECE was, ah, we don't have enough students. We need more students. Why is it so boring? Literally, we talked about this stuff. You know, we need to do more marketing. And I was like, yeah, we have a huge department here at the time, probably 85 faculty, looking back five years ago. What can we do because we're big? You know, why, why just be big if all you're going to teach everybody is electronics, electricity, and electromagnetics, the three E's? You know what? You go to Wikipedia, and it defines electrical engineering as electronics, electricity, and electromagnetics. I'm like, no, 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 no. It goes well beyond that. And, and so communicating to that students became my mission. You know, and it's similar for computer engineering. There are, there are many sub-disciplines as well. And I would like to hear if either of you have been thinking about going into one. I oh, uh, yeah, we both have declared our um, uh, focus, I guess, or our major, I guess. It's a, it's a major. It's a major. Right, right. I'm, I'm networking, networking and cybersecurity. Networking and cyber. All right. And um, Control robotics and autonomy. CRA. Yes. Uh, computer CRA, not ECRA, though. Yeah, okay. You're on the computer side of the house. Yep. Great. 
So I, I'm thrilled because I, you know, I, I came up with this pretty much four and a half years ago, sitting in a meeting, just saying, well, no, we do so much more than electricity, electromagnetics and electronics and got to get that point across to students. What, what, what do you think has been the response so far? I think we're the first batch of students to go through it, but what are your thoughts in the initial couple of years? You're the first, you're the first batch that also has the secondary focus. Right. The, the spring of 2020, the people who just graduated were the first ones who had, who could have a major on their diploma. And the, the response has been 39% of the students chose one of those majors in the first graduating class where it was available with very little marketing on our part. We're faculty. We like to teach you equations and other stuff. We're bad at marketing. And, um, but fortunately, we're going to get better at that. And we're going we're gonna to make uh, these majors a lot more visible to students. That, and that's so I was really happy with the 39%. That's what the EC ambassadors are for, I guess. Right. We're the, we're the EC ambassadors. We're doing the marketing for you. That's right. Well, you guys are some of the first... Um, ambassadors to actually be part of these majors. And, you know, Megan Bennett, who just graduated, was a controls robotics and autonomy. Um, ah, I'm gonna forget names, but we had a chip scale integration guy. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna get killed. Um, Hopefully he I, listens to this and then emails you with his name. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's, gonna, he's gonna give me a hard time. I yeah. Think, oh, it's terrible. But anyway, it, it's, it's, it's really exciting. We wanna keep growing it. And what had happened was for about three decades, we hadn't really changed the curriculum. So we, we, we still have the legacy curriculum, the double E, what we call general double E and general CPE. Those curricula as a set of courses, they're about 30 years old. That's... And, and I should just stop there. Yeah, that's an eon ago in, in the technology world. Is this, are these concentrations going to help us go up the ladder in the best colleges for EC? I mean, are we pretty high? Well, what it, what it allows us to do is early on for us, when, we, when I interact with companies, is to say, you know, I got this bunch of students who really like robotics or, or a bunch that really like cyber. And if you're interested in, in them, you know, they want to talk to you. So there's that, there's being able to pipeline students into particular sectors of the economy early on so that you, you, so you can get an internship more effectively. And then there's also the possibility that also we can point you to grad school if that's what you're interested in. So um, actually going back to Mung's question, how does the rankings of, of these universities and the department specifically work? I, I just never understand, I just Google the list and I see, Oh yeah, Virginia Tech's here, but I guess you might have a better understanding. Yeah, I'm a bit of a rankings geek. Um, <laughs> all right, let's let's get let's get a quick list down of all our rankings right here, quick. Yeah, there's the ranking, there's the graduate ranking and the undergrad ranking, and the undergrad ranking has a very strong component, which is what do what does industry think of your program, and then. Uh, how much money is uh, being spent and other other actual metrics that are beyond just reputation. 
so that's for the undergrad side, and we typically are around 16. Um, in, or, you know, in the mid-teens is the usual ranking for computer engineering and EE. The graduate ranking is purely by reputation only. Other, we fill out bubble sheets. As department heads, we get U.S. News sends us these um, bubble sheets. <laughs> it sounds like a sounds like the SAT or the GRE. <laughs> and and, you, and so you rank everybody one through five or don't know. And literally, it's 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 a everybody gets one vote for every different institution. Can you offer yourself the award number one for us? Oh yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> We're five. Yeah, on that, and that's the good one. Right. Everyone's number one. <laughs> so yeah, you, so it, it's um, it it's a necessary evil to you know rankings do matter. It's not it's not everything, mm -hmm. but over time, as the reputation of a department in the college improves because you're doing great things, you will you will see that you will see that benefit. You will see Virginia Tech, um, I think go up even even more. It might take another 10 years, and a lot of this is uh, gonna be tied to that expansion in Alexandria and the Innovation Campus that's coming in Northern Virginia. How does that affect the ECE department, actually? Are we gonna have a strong presence there? Big time. Nice. In, in three and a half years, by January of 2024, when the new building opens in Alexandria, uh, ECE will have a major presence there primarily at the graduate level. And it'll be, it'll be so easy to work uh, with big industry partners and also government. It's gonna be awesome. It is gonna be awesome. Sounds like a great time. Hopefully we get to witness it as well, maybe as alumni or grad students, but we'll, we're in for the ride. Good. Yeah. It, it is, you know, it's a spectacular new building that's being uh, planned. I think- and Have you seen the plans? I think some professors- are already there because my data structures professor is teaching online and she said she's always taught online because she works there. Yeah, so there's a, so ECE actually has 21 faculty in Arlington and, and Falls Church. So in, you know, in, in basically Arlington and uh, Falls Church is not, it's Fairfax County. I don't, I don't know my geography really well, but it, it it's, uh, the Alexandria site will be kind of the third site and the major one in three to four years from now. And so, yeah, there's faculty already there, but they're, they're predominantly, uh, predominantly um, grad, but you're taking your course probably from Dr. Gerdes, right? Or Tam Chanton. Tam Chanton. Yeah, so they're, they're in Arlington. Mm -hmm. Yep, and so they're um, really happy to have that uh, Tam and Ryan uh, hired them five years ago or so now. Is it that that long ago? Maybe not so long. Yeah, so and hired directly into Arlington. So you just mentioned hiring two really awesome professors. What is hiring a professor like? We were talking to Dr. Joe earlier, well, I guess at the end of last season, and he mentioned your interview with him. So that made me really curious about how, what it's like to interview people and what the experience is generally like. Now, he's... He's an exceptional case because you think I moved around in fields of study and he, you know, he went from everything from material science, physics, biochemistry, right. 
he come, uh, he, uh, so Charles Lieber, when he was at Harvard, is one of the leading nanotechnologists. You know, Dr. Joe, it's like, he is a nanotech person. So am I. And so when you're looking, you're, you're trying to hire people into brand new fields of research and people who are also excited about teaching and can teach at any level, meaning freshman to graduate. That's the ultimate person you're looking for. And then, you know, over time, people specialize in what level, what, um, you can't say grade level, but you know what I mean, what, what university level they teach at. And yeah, you're looking at, at, at finding a blend of people in such a large department. How many people have you hired since you've, since you've taken over? I have hired 40% of the existing faculty. Wow, that's a huge number. Absolutely. I've hired so numeric, I think it's over 45 people in seven years. Oh, we've, we've been on a hiring binge. And this has been, that's been one of the really exciting parts of being department head is hiring new people, helping to set the path of the future of the department through the kinds of people you hire. And it, it's crazy. When I, okay, when I talked to the dean when I was first interviewing, he said, uh, Luke, yeah, you can, you can hire six people. <laughs> so I came to this job thinking I was just gonna hire six people and be done and everything was gonna be great. And it's been even more fantastic. I've hired more like 48. <laughs> um, so what's the, the general procedure of, of hiring somebody? Do you generally headhunt? Do you generally take applications? What's that like? Uh, both, but primarily the applications through an open search that any qualified individual can apply to. And then we have targets of opportunity. You said headhunt. It's kind of like that. Yeah, you just, you, you find somebody uh, you really like who's also uh, synergistic with the department and you go for it and you do an expedited search. So it runs the gamut, but primarily if they're open, open searches. Absolutely. It's awesome. I think we've had a great academic uh, conversation. Let's move on to the social part of um, So actually, Dr. Lester, we prepared a pop quiz for you. Oh my God. Right. We're going to play pop references and we're going to see if you can guess oh. them. Oh, oh my God. This is what a, what a fail. Actually, I was talking to Dr. Brewer earlier in the week and he said you have a cello in your office. Yeah, well, yeah, I do play the cello. Do you, do you, do you do play the cello? Yes, I actually do. Often or or uh, is it like a yeah, I took a little bit of a break the past couple of months. But nice. Yeah, what kind of music do you listen to? Oh, it's almost entirely classical. You're uh, an uh, person? Are you Beethoven? <laughs> Beethoven. Okay, I'll play his latest symphony and see if you can guess which one it is. Well, I want to hear this. What is? I think he's gonna play something. He's got something. He's got something teed up for me. I just hope it isn't. You know, Taylor. Can you hear this? Yeah, keep going. Keep going. And that, it's a name that thing. Dang. The piano sonata. 
<laughs> I don't know. You stumped me. You stumped me. Oh my it's, God! I'm it's piano sonata number seventeen. Of Beethoven, yeah. In D minor. I right, one I got, more. I got. Did I say Beethoven? Anyway, yeah, I, 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 I think I did. All right. You have one more, Duan? Yeah, I don't. I'm playing one more. That's Moonlight Sonata. Of that is. All right. Yeah. <laughs> right away. All right. Now we're gonna play some pop songs from the last twenty years. See if you can guess that. Okay. <laughs> Somebody's going to be so pissed off at me that I don't know. You know, I don't know the difference between Bruno Mars and... <laughs> this, was, this was iconic for like a solid year. I know. Well, give me a hint. Like first, like initials or something. Uh, the, the song starts with the letter H. You've already heard the name of the song in the song. And it's by Adele. But oh, I but it was I don't a think... cover. It was a cover. Was that no, a this was original. This is, this is oh, an original. God. I'll play it again. Yeah, okay. Yeah, duh. Yes. <laughs> I do know who Adele is. Yes. I... That's the name of the song. It's Hello. It's a big meme song. It's not a meme you know, song. I, I, be I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> All right, next song. This one, I will be personally offended if you can't. Uh-oh. Yeah, okay, I, I, I'm stumped. I stopped. It's just, it's just too embarrassing. I am out of it. Duan's yeah. like obsessed with The Weeknd. I don't know. Yeah, why. it's Can't Flee My Face by The Weeknd. That's my favorite artist. I, I, okay, I need to listen to more of it. Thank you for that. There you go. Follow me on Spotify, Dr. Oh, Bill, I, didn't hear play my I didn't hear any cello in that. So I, <laughs> yeah. On the next cool. podcast, we're going to ask you to record you playing the cello, and then we'll play that as an intro music. All right. Yeah. All right, Mike. Do you have anything for, for Dr. I, Lester? I'm done with I don't want more pop quizzes. He's, he's definitely – he doesn't want them either. So I have one more question. <laughs> How does – how are you keeping yourself entertained or how were you during the pandemic? Right. What are your recommendations for books or TV shows or, or songs or anything for, for us and the listeners? Oh, I, I, I've, I've um, watched the whole season of Shit's Creek. I can say that. <laughs> um, I try, I've been watching really old movies from the 50s and 60s, uh, from you know old school Hollywood all the way to uh, Shit's Creek. And... You know, and then I, I think I wrote down like what the heck I've been. Um, and then I just I just read I just I just read the newspaper, which is, you know, now it's just your smartphone. Mm -hmm. I, I read a lot of current events. I, I really I read a lot of if, it, if I read anything, it's nonfiction. That's absolutely. What I, do. I, I do not like reading fiction. I just think it's a waste of time. But yeah, absolutely. All right. I think that's it from us. I think we definitely crossed the 30 to 45 minute mark we initially decided upon, but that's okay. It happens every single time. But thank you so much for being here, Dr. Lesser. It was an absolute pleasure to interview you. 
hey, it was a lot of fun. And um, I'm looking forward to all your great podcasts in the future. And keep up the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much for this idea. Thank you. Appreciate it.